This is The Business of Life with Jan Arden and Arlene Dickinson, a weekly podcast and radio show. Listen to The Business of Life on demand by subscribing and downloading it wherever you listen to podcasts. On this episode... What happens is if, you're, if your kid's going to a public school and you, you're making the decision to not vaccinate your kid and your kid, oh, suddenly gets the chicken pox and he's in with, you know, 800 other kids in a school, that it's that is a can of worms that we don't want to open. And yet people are willing to do that. And I think they shouldn't be allowed to go to public schools. And they shouldn't be allowed to do that. If you, Okay, don't vaccinate your kids. But guess what? Find another place to go to school then. All coming up with Jan Arden and Arlene Dickinson. Testing one, two, three. This is Arlene Dickinson Testing. out to the world. Testing one, two, three. Is there anybody out there? Arlene, Arlene, I am out here. I'm coming to you loudly and clearly from Rocky View County in southern Alberta via the internet. Hello, Jan. Hi. I know <laughs> I this is probably watched. old news. <laughs> What? You just watched I what? watched an alien, one of those stupid alien, like the old ones. I can't remember the name of it. It was such cheesy acting. It had Will They're Smith. They're all alien. It. No, it had Will Smith and they were in the Independence Day and they were trying to, and they were trying to communicate. And so they were doing like Morse code on a plane, on a helicopter. And they were trying to say, welcome. And the <laughs> aliens opened up the door and like pretty much obliterated them. <laughs> so you never, so it made me think of, hello, hello out there. And then I on the plane, I watched uh, Claire. Have you seen the movie Claire? Interesting movie. No. Another one no. about kind of a girl who's in touch with the other world. and But it, this is a more positive one where, you know, there is life and there's other planets and there's other life on other planets. But you never really see it. It's all very ethereal and touchy. And it's actually an interesting movie. But speaking of, uh, forget all that. Jan, last time we spoke, we yes. talked, um, started to talk about um, retirement homes and yes. we, we started to talk a little bit about you know long-term care and but more but I want to I think there's a, there is a big difference between long-term long-term care facilities or um, and retirement homes and seniors residences so I want to talk about senior residences and I want to talk about what I think is an incredible um, issue that we are going to face as Adults We're facing self. it now. And, yeah, and you know what? Like, have you? I don't know how much time when your mom was ill. I don't know how much time she spent in her. She didn't ever spend time Ten in retirement, but she wasn't in a retirement home. She was in no, a care I kept facility. Her, I kept her home. I yes. kept mom home okay. until the last ten months, and then she was in a memory care center. It's a locked ward. It's a very specific kind of care. She had her own room, but there was a communal space, obviously, where they encouraged everyone to come and, you know, play with balloons or bean bags or have communal meals. There was a television. There was a fireplace. There was plants. They had activities going all day long. They really did. They did a good job. So um, so that's very different than very different. Uh, Jill and Joe Brown that have been, you know, living together for 60 years and they finally decide that they need to downsize. None of their kids... You know, their kids are all over the planet, probably, and they need to go into a little place to live. So my and mom's, well, my mom's in a retirement home. What does that mean um, for her? Well, I'll tell you what I think it means, and I'm actually a little bit nervous about talking about it, because, you know, one of the things that you start to realize, and not that I think anyone would ever do anything untoward, but there is, the, you know, there you always worry about, is there any repercussion if you say anything? Because you're not there all the time to take care of them, right? So... Nope. Um, and I don't not I, and please remember if you're listening to this, I'm not suggesting anything untoward would ever happen. But it is very okay. Here's what I think about it: 
first of all, there is little, if any, privacy. So pretty much anyone can go. I mean, they say that only certain people have keys to the units, but pretty much anyone can kind of come in and out of there. Um, and they don't have to sign in? Well, no, not out of the facility. I mean, people, the workers in the facility can come in and out. Okay. And now they okay. say that that's not true. They say that only certain people can. But there's that. Um, there's the meals. I, I, I don't even know how to describe the meals. You know how, ja- you know how Jamie, um, what was his name? Jamie, not Kennedy. Yeah, was it Kennedy, the English guy? Is, is Jamie Kennedy the chef that... Yeah, Jamie Kennedy. No, Jamie, Jamie Oliver. Oliver. Jamie Oliver, yes, yes. who did the thing with yeah, schools and said, schools. okay, yep. uh, this is the exact same thing that should happen in retirement homes. Because for the most part, Jan, the food is horrible. Jello, I mean, it's meatloaf, horrible. mashed it's, potatoes. And I know that they have all these changing, like they have many different tastes to deal with. and But it's very institutionalized. You have to sit at a certain table. They tell you what table to sit at. You cannot sit at the table you want to sit at. You have to sit with people they put you with. You have to, the, the meal is the meal is the meal. Um, you, you have to eat at a certain time. So if your time is 5.30, then your time is 5.30. You're not eating later or earlier. Your time is 5.30. They make you line up outside while they get the dining room ready it is very institutionalized and so it takes away all of the and this is a retirement home let me get this clear this is not a long care long-term care facility where people are not able to function on their own this is a place where people have they're older they um you know they still have their uh their their uh, their minds, wits about their them. wits about them and and they treat them honestly like to me like they're very uh, there's no dignity in it and and I although and again I, I don't believe this is true for just the one that I've experienced with my mother um, I think this is probably true across the board but Jan I what pay, does your I, mother but, say uh, but well, hold on a second I pay close to five thousand dollars a month for my mom to be there and um, and it's I, I don't begrudge the money at all that's not my point my point is for five thousand dollars a month you could have a pretty nice place and a full-time caregiver um you know for a little bit more than that i and disagree it, okay maybe not there, there there's, well, hold there's on. a big problem okay hold on just hold on hold on i'm gonna come back to because i know you've got a, a point on this and i know you have a perspective because i know you had um caregivers for your mom but my point is at, at it's not the money it's just that i don't feel that enough money's going to the food enough money's going to giving them um options of kind of living how they want to live. I, I, I can't even explain it, Jan. There's just something about it that just feels, you know, they're in lockdown all the time because there's constant infections in the in the residence. So they constantly have <clears throat> viruses going around. So you're locked down and they can't leave and nobody can come visit. And so between the lockdowns and the food kind of being average at best, not great food, to to the whole I don't know the whole why experience. do you think it, it it depression in the elderly that are facing these choices they have to leave their homes whether it's a staircase whether it's they just can't be completely alone they they can't live independently it might be financial it might be physical it might be whatever the case may be um, what you just described is by far the the, the biggest problem it is the the lack of life it's the lack yeah. of autonomy. A- a- autonomy so they they yeah they're just they're just they're crammed into these places um that are impersonal they don't have a moment's 
to themselves. Like you said, their, their meals aren't like, it's not like you can go, gosh, I wish I could have a can of tomato soup and some crackers. Um, it's very difficult. I liken it to like being in a hotel that's noisy all the time with, you know, 200 people that you don't know and people are coming and going and you feel lost. You feel homesick. Yeah. You know, most of these people talk about just wanting to go home and, um, it's the beginning of the end. And then you have other people. My, my friend, um, just had her mom and dad move into a retirement village. They said it is the best thing that's ever happened to them. They love the meals. They love the activities. They love the bus taking them around. It, this, and like I said, this is this is independent living. They have their own suites. They have kitchenettes. They have a little sounds stove. sounds like where they my have, mom is. That's exactly yeah, the same. They, they, have, they have a little washer and dryer in their suite. Oh, she and they abs. Well, they absolutely love it. So I'm torn. I know for some people but you know she uh, my friend's mom still has her partner her her parents are still together yeah that makes a difference i mean my mom my well like like i want to i want to go back and clarify something here for sure just to to be uh, super clear i'm i'm grateful for the the people that help my mom and the residence she's in and i'm not going to name it of course and i but i am grateful for the care but i do feel like it gets i i do feel like it's I don't know it's it's almost it's almost it's just too closed you know and there's so many lonely people Jan I got it I, like can I share a quick story with you not to do with yes, my mom go, but please. when I was taping um, my new show under new management one of the things we did is we went to go visit a senior's residence and it wasn't the one my mom was in it's a it was a brand new residence it was beautiful and um, when we got there, we, the crew was all getting out of the cars and getting the cameras all ready. And there was this beautiful, and I mean absolutely beautiful elderly woman sitting on the park bench outside the, outside the home. And she was, she was sitting there and she had a picture in her hand. And, you know, everybody's bustling around and she's sitting on this park bench and she had her makeup on and her clothes all ready. And, and uh, so I, I sat down beside her while the crew was all setting up inside. And I said, you know, just said, introduce myself and said, how are you? And she, she said, great. And she told me her name. And I said, who's in your picture? And she had a picture of herself and her husband and her five children. And she shared, showed me this picture. It's going to make me cry. Um, oh, gosh. Showed me this picture. And she said, she said, this is my family. And she pointed out each one of them. And, and I said, oh, that's wonderful. Do they live close to you? Are they close by? Do they come visit? She said, yes, they, they um, you know, they, they're going to come and get me soon, I hope. And I said, oh, okay. And she said, I, should I, I really love visiting them. And I really love seeing them. And, and we had a, a little bit of a chat. And I said, do you want to come in? She said, no, I don't want to miss them. They're going to come and visit. And I don't want to miss them. I'm going to stay out here. So I went into the residence and I went to the front desk and I said can you tell me something about the woman that's sitting outside and they looked at me and they said oh she just came here just last week she's not used to living in the residence yet but don't worry she'll get used to it she still wants to see her family all the time and it just stopped me that this woman was sitting on the step you know in this bench waiting for family and but sometimes it never goes away, Arlene. The, the, that homing device, that story is repeated by the thousands. That just, I, I think maybe it's a, I don't know if, if we want to unpack all that today. I mean, I feel like it's something I need to think a little bit more about because I'm not even sure I have a well-formed view on it other than I don't yeah, like the and situation. I, and I think that, well, well, one thing that's very apparent to me is that it's very inconsistent, which yes. is, that's the frustrating thing. Yes. Um, 
I know even finding a memory care center for mom, there was actually a woman, and people do this for jobs, so just if people were wondering, um, you can pay, like, it's around $200, which is not terrible. And this woman went and looked at places. She looked at all the options and really narrowed it down to, you know, what size the building was, how many people are in there, uh, you know, what they offer, uh, the area of town that they're in, obviously the price range. So uh, just, just in closing this topic off for now, there's, there is help out there and you don't need to feel helpless and you don't need to go do it by yourself. So people need to, to unburden themselves of that. You know, there is, um, you, literally by going online, uh, you know, need help finding, um, you know, a, a home for my mom. But there are people, that's, that, there's, that, that is their job. Sorry, I'm stuttering away here. That's okay. But that's, anyhow, that's helpful. I, and, I, and I will tell you, there are a few people that help my mom in an enormous way. And I'm very, very grateful for them. There's, um, oh my God, the Alberta healthcare system is really quite outstanding. I mean, they do a lot of services that are just fantastic in the home. So let's move on to, did, okay, Jan, do you have yes. a, a completely different topic, but do you have like a, um, were no, you vaccinated I, Arlene? Oh yeah. Were okay, you? Me too. Were you? Yeah, God, yes. Yes, yes. I still got the little mark on my arm. Me too, from the small, that that smallpox. That smallpox. Smallpox. So I, anyway. I was, and they actually are just finding out that th now they're saying, I actually was listening to this just just this week, There's, um, they were saying that initially when the guy did the study that said that children who get the measles vaccine are more likely to have autism, do you know how many children he studied, how many cases he studied? Six, twelve, twelve. Okay, I, I so that I became that ridiculous. became the foundation for what he said was factual. But what happened then after he published that, and which uh, what I would consider a, a non-evidential, you know, study of twelve cases that he looked at and said that you know whatever the percentage of the the ones that had the uh, vaccine got autism. Now they're finding out that it's actually the exact reverse. And so now they're doing major studies on it. So what happened is he published that and then it got onto Facebook and it got into social media and it became a thing. Like suddenly it, it got spread everywhere as factual and the truth. And people got afraid to vaccinate their children because they were afraid that they were going to harm their kids. And now there's, um, there's a epic number of cases of measles happening all around North America where it something was that was eradicated yes, for yes. many years and and these and, like and decades putting kids, and putting kids at even more danger and I just find I it it's but ridiculous. this this is back to where is social media's responsibility on this like Facebook was t like Facebook knew the content that they were promoting and they're promoting and they were doing it through I, I guess through paid ads and you know people that had a vested interest in in making this truth their reality I, like was it Jenny McCarthy that went out there and told the world that that was why her son had autism and 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 then everybody believed it and you know like honestly it's just to me it's fairly irresponsible to base all of this on a study that had 12 children in the study group what do you think yeah it's the well it, it's it's a really 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 hot debate right now with the anti-vaxxers um, but I'm sorry, you know, the, the stats don't lie. And yes, there's exceptions to every rule. Um, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, I've got three kids and one of my kids has a certain condition and we can't do these vaccines. It's okay, I get that. There's exceptions to every rule. But f generally, as a rule, 
uh, the history shows us. I mean, when you look at something like polio, an anti-polio vaccine that literally changed millions and millions of lives. I mean, uh, people, young adults that were crippled, that spent God knows how long in iron lungs back in the day. I mean, measles, chicken pox, um, a, a litany of childhood diseases that hundreds of years ago killed millions. Polio, and and, and, the, um, and measles, we have been free of these. We've been pox. free of these diseases for for so many years, and so to now, after history does all this work, when you when you have people that are online doctors, I call them, these online physicians that are going on the internet. And I would venture to say that 95% of the crap that you're going to find on the inter internet is not is not proper documentation. I think anytime you want to get medical advice, for God's sakes, don't get it from the internet. Go to a doctor. People are getting lazy and they're getting frustrated and they're not getting the answers that they want to hear. Um, go to your doctor and get your information. So I, I will say that right out of the box. But statistically, it's proving itself. You know, the, in the United States, it's starting, but now it's happening in Canada where they're having outbreaks of chicken pox and the measles, for God's sakes. So why do you and, think... Sorry, go ahead. It's, and it's because I'm not vaccinating. But what, what happens is if, you're, if your kid's going to a public school and you, you're making the decision to not vac vaccinate your kid and your kid, oh, suddenly gets the chicken pox... And he's in with, you know, 800 other kids in a school that it's that is a can of worms that we don't want to open. And yet people are willing to do that. And I think they shouldn't be allowed to go to public schools and they shouldn't be allowed to do that. If you, OK, don't vaccinate your kids. But guess what? Find another place to go to school then. One, all the anti-vaxxers send their kids to one school. Maybe that will change their idea of what that looks like. And, the and you know what? I bet you they would think twice. But I but I think they'd think twice about it. Well, and know, I, like I said, there's exceptions to every rule, but it, it scares the hell out of me to, to people not vaccinating kids. So what, what has happened that science is suddenly becoming the debate? Like, you know, like we, we know from science that vaccines work. We know from science that climate change is real. I don't, you can argue why climate change happens. You can argue that it's because of whatever is the reason it's happening. But you can't argue that it's happening. <laughs> and, and, and yet people are taking science and saying, no, we don't believe that. And, and they're taking vaccinations and saying, no, we don't believe that. There's science behind all of it. And, and I guess I, my point on this is going to be, what responsibility do social sites like Facebook have? I mean, they were publishing anti-vaccination ads, and they had um, ad accounts that were talking about this as if it was normal. And that's how this thing got spread and became really well understood and known. And it was not based on anything factual. And Facebook knew that. And, you know, and not to compare the two, but also to just, you know, those those face cream ads that I've told you about where, you know, that people are out there and they show my face and other people's faces and they say, try this cream and, you know, you're going to look young, that which are a complete scam. I say that social yeah. media sites are also guilty there because they're taking the advertising dollars from those well, people. Yeah, and, and aren't, they, aren't they hunkering down now at Facebook? Aren't they kind of changing their policies and with the anti-vaxxer, um, any kind of, well, I call it propaganda, um, that they're going on there. I liken it to fake I liken it to fake news of any kind. Hold on, but I think um, I think that Facebook is actually has just very like recently 
changed its policies on people taking out ads or anti-vax, I don't know if you'd call them groups or, or what you want to call them, but um, they're just not letting a lot of that through. They really are screening it more carefully because I know they're endangering they're endangering lives. Millions of lives are at risk. You're talking about that they're clamping down, but what I read about it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, um, it's saying that the vaccine misinformation will appear less frequently in news ads, public and private pages. Well, that's good. And recommendations. Well, <laughs> okay, less frequently, it's still going to appear, but we're just not going to use it as much, or we're still going to take the ad money. Like, I think at the end of yeah. the day, there's a responsibility for somebody to check. I can't go on television, Jen. I could not do an ad for this and put it on te- national television or put it into a magazine, like a credible magazine, where I t- if I wanted to take out a full-page ad in a magazine, I don't think I could do it there because they have standards groups that actually look at these ads and say, no, this cannot go on air. We have a responsibility to only put the truth out there. Why can I do it on social media? Well, you shouldn't be able to. But no, but I can. I, it's across the board that that that's. I don't know how we were going to perceive this period of time. To be honest, I don't know how society. I don't know how we're all going to look back at sort of the this birth of the internet. Because let's face it, in the big scheme of things, this is all very new. This technology, the internet itself. I mean. Uh, we're looking really at the last 20 years of the emails, the texting, the, you know, the way technology has connected us. And I think we're on this giant learning curve. And I think we, we will look back at this and look at the misinformation, um, how people were being ripped off, how people were being um, blackmailed, um, blacklisted, you know, how we were getting our information. I mean, the news used to be this very regal, um, I mean, if you saw a guy, if you saw somebody on the 6 o'clock news telling you what was going on in the world, you took it at face value. And I think now people are really struggling when they look at news of any kind to pick through what's real, what isn't real. And so the irony is that they're turning to find out their own facts. And when you talk about us dealing with science... So they, they, they hear about vaccines, but they're not sure because, you know, I read this somewhere, blah, blah, blah. So now they're going on, they're looking for their own information. And like you said, they're finding all these half-truths, all these things, studies done on 12 individuals that suddenly gets blown into a worldwide study shows that autism, sorry about my dog, this is real life people. Um, they're, so they're getting their information. It's, it's just, it's like a house of cards. Right. But Where I, do but, you begin and end? But, you know, when did the news channels become the commentary channels? Okay, this is the difference. News, when you, the, the days you're talking about, news was news. They, in fact, they could not give an opinion. Their whole thing was about not giving an opinion. They were actually just telling you what was going on. And today, I mean, Fox or CNN or any of the, you know, any of the networks that are out there that have 24-hour news channels, they're commentary channels. They are not news channels. They are opinion pieces written by journalists who are trying to get eyeballs on their station. And and I'm sorry, I got to disagree with you, Jan, on the whole, we're just learning. I'm a marketer. I know darn well that these guys have known for a long time the value of the information they are collecting. They've understood the value of the advertising dollars they're taking. They know exactly how to shut down the stuff that is wrong, but they choose not to. This is much more purposeful um, than you would think it is. And there is a, an abuse of privacy that is 
to me frightening in terms of what oh, we and, do and with I'm, our data. And I'm agreeing with you. I'm, I'm agreeing with you more or less. I, I, I think you might have misunderstood. I think when we look back at this piece of time and how we are manipulating people and how that information is being used and misused, I think will be very interesting. I think the Internet's going to be a lot different even 20 years from now. I think there'll be much better screening. I think they're going to use a lot more scruples and a lot more, I think, There'll be a lot more dedication to truth. I believe that. I think right now we are living in the most precarious times as far as the information highway and what's real and what's not real. And we're seeing it affecting elections. We're seeing it affecting, uh, like you said, climate change, people's health and well-being. I mean, all those crazy things people are thinking will help their health. I, I liken it to the snake oil salesmen that used to roll their wagon into these small towns and they would sell a bottle of something to these unsuspecting people that said this will cure your stomach ailments, your eyesight, your it'll help your sex life, it'll get rid of dark spots. Do you know what I mean, Arlene? Mm-hmm. It's like it, we haven't changed how we treat each other. It's still, you know, that wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and let's just see how much wool we can pull over people's eyes. Unfortunately, people are getting information off the internet, even when there's something wrong with their kid. They are trusting that rather than, you know, the family physician, which has been in place for, you know, the last 150 years, trying to guide people with, with really good information. So the sky's the limit to how parents are navigating all that stuff. I still wish, and, I, and I'll keep saying this, go to your doctor. Go to your family doctor and, and try and get you know some really solid guidance and mentorship and do not rely on the internet, full stop. Well, and, and add to your go to the doctor, start to protest what social media sites are doing. Start to have a voice around the abuse of information, the um, lack of, uh, you know, you listen to Jack from Twitter or Zuckerberg from Facebook. Um, You listen to, to what they say versus what they do. And I can tell you what they're doing. Twitter, there is absolutely no reason other than revenue other than dollars there is no reason that is not to create a better dialogue it is not to create it is not about freedom of speech they say they will shut down people that are biased in certain things and yet they have some of the world's most large profile people um, including Donald Trump saying whatever the heck he wants and doing and saying and and making things that are derogatory mean and 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 racist and bigoted and prejudiced but they'll do that because it brings eyeballs to their site and so Mm -hmm. I think people have to start being much more vocal I mean I use that platform so do you I think there's a place for that platform I, I appreciate that platform I get a lot out of it same with you know, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, they're all, everything's owned by everybody nowadays, the same people. But I, Facebook and Instagram are at least. Um, and, and I think we have to have a voice. This is our privacy. This is our lives. This is our, I don't know, I can get on and on about it. Let's, t- let's talk about something else. What do you want to talk well, about? Well, on a... But on a, on a smaller scale than that, I still go back to these poor, well, even us as adults, trying to get likes. You know, kids, kids, young adults, grown, grown ass adults doing things, putting stuff on their social media to get likes. And it's the same with advertisers. You, you, you talk about getting eyeballs onto a page, whether it's Fox or CNN or what have you, you know, how can they get the viewership? Um, they're always fighting for those numbers, you know, uh, but it, it's like 
we're all doing it on a smaller scale. You know, my picture got a thousand likes or my comment got 1800 likes or I only got 30 likes on that. I thought it would get more. Like I always think about that. I'm going, what the hell are we doing? Um, it's, it really is, it's a weird time. It's a fascinating time. And it, I, there's parts of it that I really love though, Arlene, and I know we want to move on, but there's just parts of it that I really love that I find so fascinating. And I've met, you know, a lot of really cool people um, on the internet that I would never have known in a million years. Oh, oh, wait, I want to tell you about something. That reminds me of something. So Good. Okay, something good, something positive. Yay! So, <laughs> speaking of meeting people on social media, all right? Because I agree with what you just said. So, I, I don't want to sound like everything's bad, but I, I no. agree with what... So, there's a guy called the Poetry Bandit. The Poetry Bandit. Oh, I like it already. Um, he is he is in BC, and he is a he is a he actually sent. I, I I'll tell you the story here. It's a great story. Um, so we connected. So I don't actually. I I think I liked um, Brittany Oakman's poetry on on Instagram. She she's a beautiful poet. She now lives in Scotland. She's a fantastic Canadian. She was also from BC, and I was kind of. Um, promoting her site because I, I just loved what she wrote. It was beautiful poetry and, and, and absolutely stunning. Um, so I follow her. I'm promoting her. And this guy called the Poetry Bandit says me, sends me a note saying, you know, thank you for helping promote Canadian poets. And so I kind of go to his page as you want to do when somebody says something and I look at his page and I think, oh, he's really interesting too. So I start following him. We go back and forth. He DMs me a few times about, you know, his life turns out that he's... I bet uh, he has. No, no. Not he's kidding. He's, he's, I'm he's kidding. married, three kids. He does really great stuff. He's written a couple of books. He's self-published them. He um, He's an uh, ex-alcoholic. He is in his, I think, fifth year of sobriety, and he writes about all the challenges he had through that and what life is about for him. He's, he's really another beautiful Canadian poet. And so he and I talk, and he tells me that he's trying to start his own company, and he's looking for some advice on starting his own company. So I go back and forth with him on um, DM, and please, those of you who are listening, I really don't do this very often, so. If you want, I just happen to yeah, do Yeah, so this. don't write me, for God's sake. <laughs> no, that's not my point, but yeah. Um, <laughs> so he starts, we go back and forth, and uh, he ends up quitting his job and starting his own business. And he he tells me that, you know, and then he, he I, I think he will be okay with me sharing this. I, in fact, I, I'm almost positive he will. He, he had tried to commit suicide, and he had uh, gone to a hotel in Vancouver and, a long story short, um, they were he was going back there with his wife on the anniversary of their of his I believe it was of sobriety, and he shared with me that it was that you know his life had changed so much as a result of people reaching out to him, his poetry to express himself, and you know his wife and her support. Fast forward to last week, uh, or a few weeks ago, sorry, I'm in Langley, BC, giving a speech turns out he lives in Langley, BC. He finds out that I'm coming there. He says, would you please give me 20 minutes of your time? I say, absolutely. I'd love to meet you in person. I meet him in person. He brings, he tells me a little bit, he updates me on his business and all the trials of starting a business. And he brings me four books, two copies of each of his two books. One is, one copy of each version, Jan, is for you. And he t- said to me, 
I know you know Jan. I would like you to give this to her, to tell her that her story of sobriety is helping other people and that she helps people like me each and every day and that her songwriting and who she is has made such a huge difference in my life. So he has inscribed two books for you. And that is social media. That is the beauty of social media, that you can help people, that you can support them, that they can reach back through your life into your life, Jan. And um, anyway, I, I yeah. just that's a that's a story I have to share with you, and I've got those books for you. I am so touched. You know, it's scary. Like whenever you put yourself out there, you always you always worry about what people are going to think. We're, listen, we're only human. We we worry about being judged. We worry about people perceiving our weaknesses. We worry about people making fun of us. I mean, all those things that you seem to think will disappear as an adult really are just magnified as an adult. They somehow become more acute. So I think, you know, when I talk about things like being sober, I'm really embarrassed about being drunk. I'm really embarrassed about the fact that I didn't feel like I had self-control. I'm embarrassed that it went on for so many years. Like it embarrasses me still. It still bugs me that I consider myself a fairly smart person. And then I realize that's not what any kind of addiction is about. That's not what kind of any abuse of, you know, alcohol or whether it's smoking or drugs. That's not what it's about. It's it's such a bigger thing. But you really do find the commonality. There's We have more in common than not. And I, I, that just touches me so much. And it, it just helps me and it helps drive home the fact that um, I'm not alone in it. You know, that not. I, that's what he that said. I'm just not alone in it. Well, he, I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I, I, so that, so the internet's magic that way. I want to tell people what his handle is. Uh, it's the underscore poetry bandit. Um, you know, here's, let me just, I just literally opened his Instagram. Um, here's a poem he wrote. I wasn't given a second chance just to play it safe. Mediocrity can kill and I am done with dying. You know, he, he's, 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 he's beautiful. Um, Brittany Oakman, I think supporting poets and poetry is really important. Um, she has also written some absolutely wonderful things. I've, uh, here's one of hers. I've come too far to let my own self-doubt get in the way of my goals. There's, there's things that I think I'd, I'd encourage all of you who are looking for just words of encouragement, words of people who understand what darkness feels like and what despair feels like and have come out the other side of it and who can share through poetry. Jan, you share through music, and which is also full of poetry. And I think artistically speaking, if you can be creative and you can express yourself, I think that can help you get out of a lot of places that are, are deep in your mind. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, my friend's daughter was really struggling. This is this goes back like 15 years ago, and I remember her talking about just she was struggling in school, and she was very sullen, and she wasn't communicative. And, you know, my friend enrolled her in drama. Mm-hmm. Her kid actually said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. And it was, an, it was an, an extracurricular thing, so it was with different kids than the school. And I thought that was kind of important too. This was a, an after-school separate project that it was new kids. It was nobody that knew you and nobody that knew your history. And I really, that, that really piqued my, my curiosity about the program. But 
Her daughter absolutely blossomed. It was such a game changer to meet new people, to sometimes just even get out of that rut of, you know, those same classmates that perceive you in a certain way. And um, that was really important for me growing up, too. I mean, as much as sports were, you know, you're on the same team with the kids that go to your school, but you played kids from other schools. You met new people. And I can't stress to parents how important that is for kids to just be able to look outside of those same relationships where sometimes you, they, the kids feel stuck in a rut. I know that's how I felt. I don't know if you felt that way, but oh, yeah. just meeting new people has really changed my perspective. And it still to this day does, Arlene. Like, I know it's harder to make new friends as you get older, but, you know, I love that story about, about him on the internet, you know, the, the, the poetry bandit on the internet, because it, it really literally is making those new connections yeah and, that, and, and that's it, a good part right you never think you have room for people but you do yeah 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 and and you and and yet and you don't have to have a full-time relationship with those people you can come in and out through social media and see what they're up to and touch base with them without it taking an enormous amount of time but still feeling in touch with somebody that you never in a million years would have met otherwise I never would have met him otherwise and um, and and I never would have had those books for you to sign and you never would have known that you touched that individual's life um, at his darkest moments so I think these are these are things that we can all take away that's good about social media and that dog is not happy. Listen, she's really happy. She's super happy. So I'm in rural Alberta, and there's a lot of wildlife. So there are now deer in my yard. And they are looking over at my little dog like she is a chicken McNugget. <laughs> and they just don't care. So they're digging in this. It's really beautiful. It's just in my front yard here. And they're just sauntering through, and they seem very unconcerned about my tiny five-pound dog. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, that. This is real life, boo. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it sounds like uh, it sounds like something from um, what's that show? Uh, what's that show that was out in the wilderness? Little house. Gilligan's on- Island. Gilligan's Island. Little House on the Prairie. Um, <laughs> Um, Love Little House on Hawaii, the Prairie. Hawaii Five O? No. Uh. Oh my God! I don't know. There was oh, some- is this another one of those guessing games? This is like <laughs> this is like Little Women. I remember you trying to guess something of me, and you kept telling me it was Anna Green Gables or some bloody thing. Do you remember that? It was. Anna I think that Green was like Gables. episode six. Adam would know. Okay, it was something to do with there was there was animals and they were living out in the wilderness. Little Red Riding Hood. No. Um. <laughs> Anyway, nobody's nobody remembers. I don't know. Maybe I'm dreaming it. Maybe it Animal was, Farm. Animal Farm. George That's Orwell. It. Animal Farm. That's it. George. Okay, moving on. You know, one of these days, next time we get together, I want to talk about books. I want to talk about reading. I want to talk the impact about the impact that reading has on our lives. And, and I want to find out what everybody's listening to. So maybe in the meantime, everyone listening to, uh, listening to our show today, text or email no, or, go to our, or uh, our, go Twitter, to our Twitter, Arlene go to our and I, Twitter account. Go, go to, go to the, go to the business of life. And uh, and tell us what you're reading, because I really want to unpack how people read, why people read. There's a whole bunch of people doing book clubs now, and they're really making it this monthly thing. Like, 
I have met so many people that are like doing these book clubs. My one friend, Teresa, said it's an excuse to drink wine, but I think some people are actually reading these books, and I, and I want to know about that. I have a lot to say about reading and how it's changed my life, so we've got to get to that. I know we don't have time today. Okay, so you guys on Twitter, The Business of Life, um, send us your answers, send us your comments. We'll talk about books next time we get together. Jan, for now, got to go. This went by so fast again. 